This is Tanakh. Welcome back to Tanakhcast. This is episode 19, Exodus chapters 17 through 20. So, the Jews are on the move from the wilderness of Sin and camping at Rephidim, where, surprise, there's no water. So once again, the people are thirsty, and they kvetch. Moshe is worried that he's going to be lynched, so God tells him to smash a rock with his staff to yield water, which he does, and thus the place of kvetching is called Massah and Merivah, testing and quarreling, because, surprise, the Jews are testing God and quarreling with Moshe. Verse 8 introduces Amalek, the arch-villain of the Jews, the Tuscan raiders of the Tanakh, who attack, and Moshe commands Yehoshua to fight, and then he does a neat trick where if he holds up his hands like a referee indicating a touchdown, the Jews will prevail. So he gets Aharon and Hur to hold up his arms, and guess what? The Jews beat Amalek 21-10 to in overtime. But this is only the beginning of the rivalry, and it's going to last a lot longer than the Packers and Bears. As God tells Moshe that he will, quote, wipe out, wipe out the memory of Amalek from under the heavens. And so Moshe builds an altar on the site and names it Adonai Nisi, Adonai my banner, and pledges, quote, yes, hand on Yah's throne, war for Adonai against Amalek, generation after generation. Yitro arrives. Now, Yitro is Moshe's father-in-law, and he counsels Moshe about his impending burnout and the need for a multi-level legal system. And then the Jews arrive at the base of Mount Sinai. But before Edward G. Robinson gets up to never say... There are many, to rework Judith Plaskow's phrase, standings at Sinai. And this is the first. So Moshe goes up alone and God speaks to him about keeping the covenant and becoming a special treasure of a people. And Moshe descends and tells the elders and the people are there too. And they say, all that Adonai has spoken, we will do. Moshe then goes back up the mountain to tell God what the people say. Then God says to Moshe that he is going to speak to the people directly so they should get ready. So Moshe climbs down the mountain and tells them to do some laundry, to stay away from the mountain, and yes, to stay away from women. So I guess Moshe was really talking to the men because if he was telling them to stay away from women, then how could women stay away from themselves? But, you know, if he was talking to men, then why would he tell them to do some laundry? Don't women do laundry? Now I'm really confused. So uh, three days go by. And at daybreak, the pyrotechnics begin. Thunder and lightning rattle the mountain. A heavy cloud sits atop Sinai's peak, and everyone is scared out of their wits. And the shofar sound, that sound grows louder and louder, and Moshe speaks, and God answers. But then God calls to Moshe again, and Moshe climbs the mountain. God 
God then tells Moshe that the people should stay away from the mountain. And Moshe assures God that there are signs, but God says, go back down and then come up, and this time bring Aharon. But everyone else should stay back. And so Moshe descends to the people and says to them the following ten statements. Or more like one statement and nine commandments. Yep, statements. I realize that one statement and nine commandments lacks the punch of... Paramount Pictures is proud to announce the return of the greatest motion picture of all time. Cecil B. DeMille's masterpiece, The Ten Commandments. But look, it's commonly called the Aseret HaDibrot. Aseret being ten and Dibrot are, well, they're not mitzvot. The Hebrew root for Dibrot is Dalet Bet Resh, which also is used in the infinitive Ledaber, to speak, and Dibur, talking. So chapter 20 begins with Moshe recounting all that God told him at Mount Sinai. And if you listen closely to the first statement, you will not hear a commandment in it, but more like a justification for what follows. As if God is saying, do you want to know why you should do what I tell you? Well, I saved you from Egypt. I freed you from slavery. So listen closely. What follows are nine commandments that establish a strong basis for America. The founding fathers did base um, not only the Declaration of, in, of uh, Independence, but the constitutional uh, protections on what they thought was right and wrong. And what they thought was right and wrong came from the Ten Commandments, which is Judeo-Christian philosophy. But really, the nine commandments focus on a lot of things. They focus on monolatry, that is, belief in one God, as opposed to the belief that only one God exists followed by a ban on graven images, a ban on taking God's name in vain, an injunction to keep the Shabbat by avoiding work, an injunction to honor one's parents, a ban on murder, not killing, there is an important difference, you know, and a ban on adultery, theft, perjury, coveting another's property or spouse, and there you go, nine and all. After hearing all this, and even with the no-walk zone around Sinai, the people are still freaked out. They tell Moshe that they will listen to him, but are afraid to hear God's voice. So Moshe approaches the fog. It's not clear if he climbs the mountain again when God imparts some more instructions about graven image making, as in don't do it, and how to build an altar for sacrifices involving rough stones as opposed to hewn stones, and the implied use of a ramp as stairs will expose one's nakedness. So, there's a lot to talk about in this week's portion. Let's get to it. This week, I want to talk about irony. And not in the Alanis Morissette sense of terrible coincidence, but in the actual dictionary definition of irony. The second entry for irony in the Oxford English Dictionary reads as follows. A condition of affairs or events of a character opposite to what was or might naturally be expected, a contradictory outcome of events, as if in mockery of the promise and fitness of things. So in Exodus chapter 17, verse 14, after defeating Amalek 21 to 10 in overtime, Adonai says to Moshe the following, Write this as a memorial in an account and put it in Yehoshua's hearing. Yes, I will wipe out, wipe out the memory of Amalek from under the heavens. Which got me to wondering, why would anyone who wanted a memory erased write it down? Doesn't writing things down defeat the purpose of erasing it from memory? Because today, Amalek, if left to its own devices, would not even have merited a footnote 
in a dusty old tome. Amalek, if left to the vagaries of history, would have been utterly erased and wiped out of memory millennia ago. If not for this injunction and the penchant for Jews to remember, 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 and never forget, never, ever forget, Amalek would have surely been forgotten. So what purpose does Amalek serve in popular Jewish consciousness? Foil, anti-hero, villain? Well, if one can even speak of a popular Jewish consciousness, and you can't see the air quotes there, Amalek would be the first, but arguably a minor member of the Injustice League, dominated by folks like Paro or Sancheriv or Nebuchadnezzar, Antiochus, Titus, Torquemada, Pope Urban II, Martin Luther, Tsar Alexander II, Henry Ford, Hajjamin al-Husseini, and of course, Hitler. Uh, feel free to write in, by the way, and nominate other folks for charter membership in the Injustice League, uh, which shouldn't be confused with the rabidly ultranationalist uh, online shit list. And I mean, when I say that, I mean it's the, quote, self-hating and Israel-threatening list of Jews who have the audacity to think differently about the Palestine-Israel conflict. Anyway, in their own way, Paro and Antiochus or Titus or whoever contributed the most to making the lives of Jews miserable, they are to be scorned and rejected. But for certain sectors of the Jewish world, Amalek looms largest, even larger than many of the historical figures mentioned before because, I guess, of their biblical role. And to think that in the interwebs, you know, Godwin's law is the law of the day. What's Godwin's law? Godwin's law stated simply is, as an online discussion grows longer, the probability of a comparison involving Nazis or Hitler approaches one. That is to say, as folks get into it and the rhetorical scrum intensifies, someone is going to call someone else a Nazi or compare their ideas to those espoused by the Nazis or say something like, Oh yeah, well, Hitler would have really loved that idea. Sometimes it seems like there's an actual race to see who will break Godwin's law first. Uh, one place where Godwin's law is, is as prevalent as Newton's law is the Israeli Knesset, which is why in 2005 and 2007, Labour member of Knesset Colette Avital proposed bills that would impose a prison term up to seven years for anyone using Nazi terminology or symbolism lightly. The bills would also outlaw the term Nazi, or other words carrying a similar connotation, and the use of symbols of the Shoah, such as uh, concentration camp-style prison garments, yellow stars of David, and swastikas. Suffice it to say, civil libertarians and Knesset members, even from Avital's own party, had some issues with this curb to freedom of expression. But you know what they say about free speech. Tomato, tomato, potato, panazzi. Similar bill was proposed in 2012 by National Union member of Knesset Uri Ariel, imposing a fine of 100,000 shekels on perpetrators who use as a slur any Shoah symbol or referring to anybody as a Nazi. And the bill passed its preliminary reading. I should point out that these bills would not necessarily apply to Knesset members because Knesset members have broad immunity from, quote, criminal or civil responsibility for any act which he performed while fulfilling his duty or in order to fulfill his duty, which one could argue might involve calling an opposition MK a Nazi, 
because their ideas are seemingly similar to those espoused by the Nazis, or perhaps because they believe Hitler would really enjoy their work. It happens all too frequently. But there is a sector of the Jewish community that does a complete end run around this business by going back to the Injustice League's founding member, Amalek. The ultra-Orthodox, or Haredi community, often uses Amalek as a handy, all-purpose epithet to disparage enemies of the Jews, but it is specifically deployed to diss political opponents. It is true that Amalek is the arch-enemy of the Jewish people, but being Amalek, it's not just for Gentiles. Even Jews can be Amalek. So here's a brief list of members of the Amalek of the Month Club from 2013. According to the editor and publisher of the American edition of the Ashkenazi anti-Zionist Haredi newspaper Yated Ne'eman, non-Orthodox Zionists, the mayor of New York City, and the city's Department of Health and Mental Hygiene are Amalek because, quote, Amalek is the voice that counsels compromise and advises us to be calmer about our beliefs. According to the Sephardic Haredi newspaper Yom Liyom, renegade member of Knesset Rabbi Chaim Amsalem, formerly of Shas, is also Amalek for suggesting that only a small number of men should dedicate their lives to Torah study, while others should combine work with study. That non-Jews in Israel from the Soviet Union with Jewish roots should be provided an easier way to convert to Judaism. That everyone should acquire the basic skills of mathematics in a foreign language as provided in the state's core curriculum. And that Sephardic Judaism should not bow its head before Ashkenazi, Lithuanian, Haredi leaders. Hmm. Although, according to Shalom Cohen, a senior member of Shas, the Sephardi Haredi Political Party's Council of Torah Sages, and the Rosh Yeshiva, the dean of the Parat Yosef Yeshiva in Jerusalem's Old City, accused Zionist Orthodox Jews of being Amalek. And last but not least, according to the Williamsburg Satmar Rebbe, Zalman Leib Teitelbaum, the state of Israel and Zionists of every stripe are this generation's Amalek. He also referred to the Knesset as Paro's parliament. A piece about Amalek at the Hasidic website Breslov.org relates that when Kaiser Wilhelm of Germany visited Jerusalem during his journey to the Holy Land, all the religious leaders of Jerusalem came out to the city gates to greet the Kaiser, except one, Rabbi Yosef Chaim Sonnenfeld, the spiritual leader of Ashkenazi Jewry in Israel at the time. He didn't go. When they asked him about his refusal, he said that although the Kaiser himself was deserving of honor, Quote, I have a tradition that Germany is Amalek. But uh, since the 70s, the mid-70s, the radical settler movement Gush Emunim, or the Bloc of the Faithful, have associated the Palestinians with Amalek, an association which has since found expression in broader settler circles, especially since the 1994 massacre of 29 Muslim worshippers at the Cave of Machpelah by Baruch Goldstein. The Jewish religious extremists understood Goldstein's choice of Purim Day for the terror attack as a reenactment of the Jews' victory over Haman the Amalekite, as described in the Book of Esther. So for a people we are supposed to wipe clean from our memories, we sure do a lot of thinking abouts and remember whens and don't you ever forgets about them. Why? Could we as Jews not get along in the world without having an arch-villain upon which to fixate? But the thing is, as the founding member of the Injustice League, Amalek is pretty flat and shapeless. We know very little to nothing about them besides their animus for the Jews. 
I mean, they have no memorable catchphrase like Stansfield from Luc Besson's Leon. Bring me everyone. What do you mean everyone? Everyone! Or Dr. Zell from Marathon Man. Is it safe? Or Zod from Superman 2. Rise before Zod. No. Kneel before Zod. Amalek doesn't have a campy costume like the Joker or missing their noses like Voldemort. They are not relentless pursuers like Michael Myers in the Halloween movies or Anton Chigurh in No Country for Old Men. And they lose every real engagement with the Jews. So why do we need to keep bringing them up and keep assigning all different kinds of folks to be their latest incarnation when, have I mentioned, we should have forgotten the original a long, long time ago? Well, a student of Carl Jung might say that we need to confront our own hidden nature and facing our shadow selves in the guise of Amalek can help us grow as human beings. A student of Sigmund Freud would say that Amalek is our id, trying to rebel against our ego and superego. But I think that we keep bringing them up, even though we're not supposed to, because of how the business with Amalek ended. Ah, oh, the irony. The folks among us who keep running around calling everyone Amalek can do so knowing that in the end Amalek loses. And though they attacked us and were dirty and dishonorable about it, as if war fighting is all about honor and valor as opposed to actually winning, they lost. They didn't enslave us. They did not disappear 83% of our tribal ancestors or exile the other 17. They didn't destroy our sacred temple. Or they didn't organize mass persecutions or pogroms or deportations or genocide. They picked a fight with us and we kicked their ass all by ourselves. Well, I guess we had help from Touchdown Moshe, but we won. We beat them. And we can feel good about that. And if we can tag a present-day rival or opponent as Amalek, then we are signaling that whomever is Amalek, they're just punks and we can win, and our victory is assured because we all know what happens to Amalek in the end. So even though we're supposed to forget them, we don't, because although we definitely hate the player, we definitely don't hate the game, because we finally win it. You know, I, I think at this point we're supposed to high-five. As always, you can leave a comment, question, or quement at the Facebook page at facebook.com slash TanakhCast, T-A-N-A-K-H-C-A-S-T, or at thenextjew.com, or leave a comment, question, or quement at the iTunes store, and while you're at it, why not leave a review? Only nice ones, please. Otherwise, you're Amalek. That way, folks who are looking for a little Tanakh learning might discover this humble podcast and join in the fun. As always, you are invited to come back and join us next week-ish for episode 20 on Exodus chapters 21 through 24. Y'all come back now. Here.